Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal here at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. What are the perspectives of those new to the building industry? ResNet's Emerging Leadership Council, or ELC, has a fellows program that provides recognition for future leaders. What are some of the reasons they got noticed? And how do this year's ELC fellows feel about the work they do? Do they love it? The 2022 ELC Fellows Program this year was split into two groups, Raiders and Rating Field Inspectors, or RFIs. In today's podcast, we'll talk with the ELC Fellows, or Raiders. Join us as we talk with Noah Lawrence, Matt Jansing, and Jared Kane Woods as they share their thoughts and perspectives on the HERS industry. All three of these fellows will be chat with here today submitted video applications for the contest, and you can view those at a link in the show notes. Matt will describe his experience across several climate zones, his excitement about the detective work he does, and his eagerness to spread the concepts of building science to technically-minded people that might be new to or unaware of the industry. He's very interested in connecting with people across the ResNet ecosystem and beyond. Jared expresses a natural curiosity about the technical and energy aspects of the built environment. He wishes to learn more and close the gaps in understanding that people have when it comes to building green. He talks about the impact of the human element, both of the people that build homes and those that live in homes. Jared is keenly interested in connecting with other energy nerds. Noah embraces the ripple effect when he thinks about the impact of the work he does and the networking he does. He describes how he got into this field because of the intersection of science and buildings coming from his upbringing. And we talk about how he encourages others to think differently. We close with all three fellows giving their predictions on what the next five years might look like in the building industry. ResNet's Emerging Leadership Council strives to engage the next generation of leaders in the ratings industry as many current HERS raters and RFIs are approaching retirement. You can get more info about the ELC in general at a link in the show notes. And if you're interested in applying for next year's fellows program, there's also some notes on that in the show notes. So let's listen in as Matt, Jared, and Noah describe to us their thoughts on being nominated as Emerging Leadership Council Fellows for 2022. How y'all doing today? Good. How are you? Good. Good to see you. See some of you on the screen here. So the ELC Fellows, each one of you started your career, I'm sure, in a different way that's led sort of the arc of your career to where you've got to today. Again, in no particular order, just ask you to Introduce yourselves. I'll start with Jared first, alphabetic order here. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into what you're doing now with ResNet. Hi. Thanks again for having us. Currently, I work as a, a HERS rater. Our company is in Massachusetts, but I live in Vermont. I do most of like the operations management and stuff like that from remote, which has been really great. I started doing all this because I didn't really like where I was going in life when it came to like a career. I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I'd already graduated from a community college. I had 
just been working jobs for the sake of having a job. And then one day I was like, you know what? Green energy, that seems like a boom in field. So I went back to school and took their renewable energy and energy efficiency program and learned everything from doing blower door tests and combustion safety tests, installing solar panels. It was like a broad spectrum, like figure out what you want to do. And I got lucky enough to work with a local engineer doing the Green Community Act for Massachusetts for municipal buildings. And so I did energy modeling for them. And then I got picked up by the company that I work for now. And that's when I took the direction of being a HERS Raider. And I took a hiatus for about a year and a half, two years in the middle to go volunteer at a wolf sanctuary. And I worked with wolves for a couple of years and other canids. And then when I moved back, I was lucky enough to get my old job back. So, Wow. Yeah. Anything in particular that was like a transition point in your mind where you went from, went into the sustainability field? Just a little bit more about that. Yeah. I tried to find something that just clicked for how I look at things. I knew, hey, I'm really scared of heights. So solar was out unless it was strictly ground mount. And I don't think I could walk in as a a greenhorn and be like, okay, I'm only going to do the ground mounts. You can't toss me on the roof. So that was kind of out. I've always really liked physics and chemistry and the very like theoretical science that can be applied very practically. And modeling ended up being that way. And it's still my favorite thing. Most people I know really do not like making the SketchUp model and doing all of the theoretical like, oh, what if I do this assembly this way? What if I do it this way? And I'm a huge nerd for that. Thermodynamics is, I joked that I was going to get Q equals UA Delta T tattooed on my arm at some point, which I might. Still might do it. You still have available real estate there. so Yeah, I got some slots used up. But yeah, no, so I really liked that part. And so I think now that's still my favorite thing, even doing more of the operations type of management thing. I like doing the detective work. And I think that this particular field has really given me the opportunity to be as curious as I want. There's plenty of questions still to be asked. And while energy goes through particular surfaces in a standard rate, how we attack it is very different because you're introducing the human element, be it the person who's living there or the person who built it. And that's one of the things that I joined the ELC for was because I really wanted to try to bridge that gap between that bookie nerd of me that really likes the theoretical science, the modeling, and then the HERS Raider who was in the field and testing these buildings and realizing that real people built them and real people are living in them and that there are more variables than you could ever account for on that other side. So trying to find that that common ground of communication was really what kept me in the field as opposed to just burning out on learning something new and moving on. Yeah. And something that I've come to appreciate more is we built a high performance house and is that it's not about one number or one factor because the weather changes, what you do inside changes, and even materials and equipment change. So the availability changes. So it's hitting it like a sweet spot of all these factors. So nothing really goes out of bounds, but keeping things contained within a kind of like wolves in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about cages. That's a good idea. But why don't we transition here to Matt? Good afternoon, Matt. How are you doing? 
Hello, I'm great. So Matt, you're based in Cleveland, Ohio. I am. Yeah. Where do you work up there? So it's actually a Cincinnati-based company called Soul Design and Consulting. They mostly do green building certifications, LEED, Enterprise, NGBS, all that good stuff. But I am the one and soon to be one of two employees that are in Cleveland 24-7. So it's a good time. Where did you get your start into sustainability or this energy field that you're in now? I was definitely interested in sustainability before sustainability was like a coin term environmental science for a long time. But my bachelor's was actually in Asian studies and I focused on Japanese language. But at the end of that, I was like, okay, well, now I need a job. So I went back to Japan for a sustainability degree. And my master's thesis was on irrigation management for rice agriculture. And then I came back to the US and was like, oh, well, there's not a lot of rice agriculture going on either. Okay. So I just fell into buildings in the large umbrella of sustainability. Buildings are the most developed in terms of just job availability and things like that because of green certifications and ResNet. So it ended up being sort of an accident. It wasn't what I was shooting for, but it, I'm not mad that I'm here because similar to what Jared touched on, the detective aspect was something that was immediately a lot of fun to me. I started with BPI audits for a weatherization program in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where I'm originally from. And to be able to just go into someone's house and say, what's the problem? And they say, my bathroom's cold. And I go, okay, it's because of reasons A, B, and C, and we're going to fix that for you. And then they are super happy and you shake their hand and then you drive off in your van. And it kind of just felt like energy saving Santa Claus. <laughs> ResNet is not inspecting new construction isn't quite the same, but it's still really rewarding. And yeah, after that program in, in Louisville, I went to Colorado in the mountains, Summit County, 10, 15 minutes from the ski resorts. It was a lot of fun, but ended up being really expensive at the same time. So came back to the East and Cleveland was a good fit. In your profile here for the ELC fellows, and in case people want to watch or read up on this, actually do watch because there are your application videos are posted. I don't know if you knew that, but I will post a link in the show notes to the you brief form of your applications. You talked about a ripple effect. Can you describe that a little more, ripple effects with the building industry? I think anyone that wants to be involved in sustainability has a small, probably not needed or deserved, they feel a responsibility to save the world. And none of us can alone. It's not going to happen. And no one house is going to save the world. No neighborhood is going to reduce carbon enough to stop climate change or anything like that. But what you can do as an individual is provide services to your clients well enough that they aren't as timid to try new technologies and new things. They see it as just continuous improvement rather than more and more paperwork and headaches. And if you can get one more builder to put an ERV in, for example, instead of a bath fan, then that builder is going to take that to their next project and et cetera. So that I feel like is the bigger impact I can actually have as an individual on climate change is just changing attitudes rather than actually the dollars and numbers. Yeah, the one, your, sorry, your sphere of influence, like you said, in your application there actually has a ripple effect, touches others. I feel the same way too. Similar things have happened to me where you mentioned something and then weeks later, somebody comes back who's not even in the field, comes back and asks you a question. It's like, oh, that actually had impact. They remembered you, you somehow touched something in their psyche. That's very cool. Last but not least, Noah Lawrence from J New York. Noah, how are you? 
I'm doing good. Thank you. Good. Tell us first where Jay New York is. Jay New York is in the Adirondack Park up near Lake Placid. Lake Placid, you may have heard of. It hosted the Olympics twice, but not in the last 40 years. So pretty up in the boondocks up here. I describe it as the corner of where Canada and Vermont meet. That part of New York, that's where I'm from. And you work for? Building Efficiency Resources, or BEAR. So we are a nationwide provider, QA, and HERS training provider. So all over the country, we've got people ready to train you. (laughs) Got it. What's your role at the BEAR? I am a quality assurance designee up in the Northeast. I primarily do field work. So I'm traveling all throughout New York and Massachusetts and Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, visiting HERS Raiders and just doing their field QA portion. Before I became a fully qualified QAD, I worked on the ProServe team and the marketing team for Bear. So the ProServe team does models for our HERS Raiders under our providership who don't have the time to model for themselves. So that's one of the services we provide. And then on the marketing team, I've, I used to be on the social media side of things. And now I'm starting to step away from that because we have a more talented person on that. (laughs) So what got you into the sustainable or environmental related world? Back in community college, that was when I really learned about climate change and that it was a huge issue and that we needed to do something about it. And I didn't really know where I fit into that puzzle. So I went and got a degree in sustainable energy management from uh, SUNY ESF. And that's basically just a business degree with some renewable energy technology thrown in there. And I still wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to be. But my brother, he works in construction and was thinking about starting an insulation business at the same time as I was wrapping up my sustainable energy management degree. And I decided to look into how I could make those two things work together. And so when I graduated, I got my BPI certifications and joined his insulation company. And we started working in existing homes through the NYSERDA Home Performance with Energy Star program. And that went well for a few years. And then the pandemic hit and it didn't go so great anymore. And I decided to look for opportunities elsewhere. And that's when I found Bear and really got into HERS rating and the new construction side of things. I had experience with new construction. We sold insulation to anybody who wanted it, but most of my experience before coming to Bear was with existing homes, and I agree with Matt and Jared in that that investigation and being the only person sometimes who can figure out a problem in a home is really rewarding and one of my favorite pieces of being in this industry. Very cool. In your application here online, you talked about the cleanest kilowatt hour. Tell me about that. Yeah. So the cleanest kilowatt hour is the one that you don't have to produce. So I think that a lot of the time we're thinking of the solution to climate change as putting up more solar panels or putting up more wind turbines. And that's definitely a part of it. But first, we should think about how we can reduce the number of those that we need. The reduce, reuse, recycle is in that order for a reason. Reduce is the most important. So energy efficiency, yeah, if we can stop that kilowatt hour from being needed at all, that's the best strategy. (laughs) In your work, are you able to impress that somehow, to convey that, to communicate that, the reduce before you produce concept? I think that I try to 
tell people like, yeah, we can get the Hurst score down to zero if we have a huge solar unit, but we should try to make it as low as we can before we start thinking about solar. So I don't know that I have a great strategy to tell people to use. Just kind of what I just said, reduce your energy use first. You want to make that load smaller so that we can handle it. (laughs) Yeah. And again, some things, my perceptions lately on like electrification, some people get all whacked out when they hear that term. My thing is electrification is not like flipping a switch, which is a little pun in there because it's not going to happen all at once. (laughs) It's going to happen gradually over time and it actually is happening over time. So that was my little two cents there. (laughs) What are some of your perspectives? And I'll go back in alphabetic order, starting with Jared. What's your perspective on what the future holds? You're in the Emerging Leaders Committee Council. What do you think is going to your work's going to be like the world of your work in five years? In the last five years, I've only really been a part of the HERS community for the last like four, but peripherally seeing how things have been changing in the last five years. And then especially because of the pandemic, I think that a lot more people are realizing the importance of having a sustainable place to be spending most of your time in because people were forced inside. And so they became well acquainted with the faults of their home or the good things in their home too. And so no more than now are we looking at a future where people are spending more time inside because people now have the ability to work from home, like myself. People who might have accessibility challenges in their life can now work at home. So if anything, I'm seeing like the possibility for an expansion of more people being able to put their perspective in people who might not been able to, like myself, if I had to drive down into mass, especially with gas prices the way they are now, I wouldn't be able to do my job the way that I do. I just see that there's more hope, I think, for the fact that people, unfortunately, had to have this kind of rude awakening of you need to have a healthy, happy home to live in, whether it's an existing home that's being improved, or if it's being a new construction. And I just see that, like for me, moving into the ELC, like I said earlier, my goal was to try to facilitate communication and conversation between people within ResNet and people on the ground. Because so often, I have to say, I'm sorry, man, I'm just the messenger. Like, I'm not even the building inspector. I'm your friend. Like, I'm trying to help you here. And there's so much animosity. And I understand most people, myself included, were never taught how to deal with embarrassment or perceived shame or your pride being potentially or at least perceivably attacked. And that's how some people feel when you fail a duct test or you fail a blower door test. It's understandable. So to try to move forward with that in mind and having the compassion for the people on the ground and understanding that they are living in a world where building costs are going skyrocketing and they're seeing this as just, even though it's X amount of dollars, percentage-wise, quite small compared to what they're spending on windows and doors, (laughs) but it's still another cost. So you now have this other hurdle of what you're fighting for and fighting against. And so to see them with compassion instead of talking down to them and saying, I still need you to do this. We kind of joke, I made this joke at the meeting that we had where they introduced us all that we should have like a ResNet Psych 101 course for working with some of these people. So you're not creating that animosity. You're being able to turn that animosity into 
that energy into if I do better, if I learn how to do these things, my life will actually be easier because most of the people who end up taking on the practices that we're suggesting have an easier time building a home anyway, and they have less callbacks and it becomes much more streamlined. So I'm hoping that in five years, I'm in a position where I'm able to have some kind of success with facilitating that, at least starting it. And it's something that will need to be a paradigm shift amongst everybody, both builder and raider and everybody in between, as far as realizing that we're all on the same team here. We're trying to just navigate society in this particular corner society that we're in and be able to come home or at least come up from your office in the basement and have dinner at night and not be super stressed out. That's a very leadership-minded perspective. Congratulations. I think that's... uh, Thanks. I'm sure the other two gentlemen here have some other similar thoughts, but I would say that that navigating society with compassion is a real important thing. Make sure you, you hang on to that when you get to these ELC meetings. so I will do my best to. Great. I'll jump over to Matt and ask you the same type of question. What do you think the world will be like in five years, your perspective on that? In terms of subject matter and like what I'm rating and helping customers with, I think ventilation is going to be massive. I mean, HVAC, we've already discussed in our first ELC meeting that HVAC is where most of the failures end up or just most of the issues, if not failures. And we're only asking people to build them tighter. So the ventilation has to be spot on. And also because of COVID, people now care more about their indoor air quality. People did before, but I think that's, yeah, just ventilation indoor air quality is going to be a big focus in the future for sure. What's interesting to me for the industry as a whole, though, five years from now, is how close we're already getting to I don't want to say replacing. In my personal experience, I was forced to replace building inspectors where I didn't want to have that responsibility. But we already have the IACC designation now for raiders. But I guess to elaborate more on what happened in Colorado, Summit County, they adopted the Zero Energy Ready Homes Program as code. And at a certain point, the inspectors just started saying, I'm not even going to bother with the insulation. You've got that, like inspecting it. And in a way, that was great, especially for business. There's more people are looking to us, seeing us as subject matter experts. But at the same time, I'm like, this needs to be handled very carefully if there is going to be such a transition. Perhaps there will be. I don't know if it'll be as soon as five years, but inspectors are aging and fewer and fewer, as well as tradesmen aging fewer and fewer. We can't find people to, yeah, the next generation for the construction industry. So The main reason I was interested in in the ELC personally was to see that transition through and see what I can do to offer my unique experience having been through that already in Colorado. So yeah, ventilation and then how we can keep building houses and they not be starting at 400k and yeah, everything's getting more expensive, harder to build. So I don't mean to sound bleak. I think it means I'm going to have a job for sure. So that's nice. There are definite challenges out there. Yeah, just want to make sure as energy becomes front and center in code and building in general, just needs to develop right. Very good. So Noah, what are your thoughts on what the world will be like in five years and things you'll be doing to affect change? Yeah, I think I want to jump off of what Matt said about the IECC HERS Compliance Specialist Certification. 
first of all, Bear offers that, so go check that out on Bear. But I think that <laughs> hers raiders are going to start becoming a much larger or more utilized resource for code officials. And I don't know how everybody feels about that, but I'm excited for it because in the rural area that I'm from, the energy code is the thing to get left off. The building inspectors have so many things to look for that that's the part of the code. They're like, oh, we'll leave that for the next inspector to figure out when I retire. I think that that piece is a really important thing that HERS Raiders will be doing in the next five years. And then another thing that I'm excited about that seems to be coming down the pipeline is carbon accounting, both operational and embodied carbon for buildings. I think that that's an exciting thing that HERS Raiders can hopefully start getting into in the next five years so that we can have a better understanding of the impact that our buildings are having on the environment, not just the energy use that they have. And finally, I think that HERS Raiders are going to start getting more into the quality of the HVAC systems with the standard 310. Thanks for your great video on demand on that, Bill. Oh, all the equipment. Somebody watched it. Good. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> lots of good information. I think that we'll start seeing more of that in the next five years as well and hopefully solve that ventilation and quality installation issue that some people are seeing. Yeah, it's amazing how you have to keep on layering on the knowledge here in, in all different ways. And one thing I was going to mention, there was a Res Talk episode for those who are interested, number 94 with Andy Buccino, Mike Brown, and Sarah DeVico talking about embodied carbon. So that's one to listen to springboard off of what Noah just mentioned there. This is all very interesting. I see a lot of parallels. You guys, you seem empathetic. <laughs> and you seem, in the, at the beginning, before we started here, just a little reveal, are you all comfortable talking here? And everybody said, yeah, we're pretty chatty. And you are, <laughs> in a very nice way. But you do you have a very good way of getting your points across. I want to ask, well, both Matt and Noah talked about being detective. Jared, can you give us the detective perspective from your standpoint? Well, I think there's a couple different ways you can look at being a detective. There's the detective of what the heck is actually going on here. So testing a home or going into an existing home and knowing a problem and having the tools at your disposal to A, be able to test for it or B, have an a kind of a gut response of like, oh, okay, this sounds like this. There's also the detective aspect of like in Massachusetts where we've got stretch code that's basically in every single town. They have to hit a per score of 55 and their change per hour of 3.0 or less. And so when it comes to that, there's the economic standpoint to look at where a lot of these builders, especially in Western Massachusetts, are quite, are building in quite poor areas. Franklin County is the poorest county in Massachusetts. And then the areas around Springfield, Massachusetts aren't much more affluent when it comes to having cash. It's finding how can we do this in a very economically friendly way. So I like to joke that we're working with trying to save, to be green in two different ways. The fact that we're being green for the environment and then being green for the people who are actually trying to buy homes here. And so that's another more theoretical side of things. And I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a couple. We've worked with a couple of places that are doing studies on 
the fact that Massachusetts is going to be transitioning into potentially there's going to be a super stretch code for 45 with all electric and then 42 with fossil fuel and participated in helping people try to figure out what the costs is going to look like to get from 55 to 45 to 42 to see like, is it really worth to keep fossil fuel in your home or is it going to be more worth to just go all electric? And where are you going to have to make your compromises? Are you going to have to start transitioning from using that compressed 38 bat to potentially looking at closed cell foam in the roof? Or are you going to have to start insulating your slab? What kind of windows you're looking at? That type of thing. So there's that side of detective work, which can be a lot of fun as well. And so in the end, the goal is to shed as much light as possible with as much information as you can gather in a short period of time. And I think that that kind of stress reward experience is a good one because in the end you end up helping somebody, whether it be the person who lives there. And some people who are building these homes are thinking, this is my home. But in the end, they're building infrastructure for a community where people are going to be living for a long time. So I'm not just helping, or we're not just helping all of us. We're not just helping people build a house they're going to live in for 10 years before they move there. We're building a house that's hopefully going to be there for 100, 200 years. And talking about embodied carbon, we hopefully the stick part of the building isn't going to rot out because that's if you can just renovate from there on out, you're always making that greenest kilowatt hour. There you go. I'm going to ask you to each one of you to answer this question sort of in closing, but I'm guessing that you all talk about your work outside of work (laughs) and get that feeling. And then going back to that ripple effect that was mentioned earlier, I'll start with Noah. What's the biggest myth you have to dispel when you talk with others outside of the energy field? Probably still the houses need to breathe myth. Okay. That's (laughs) the big one that we were dispelling all the time. I usually try to guide them like, yeah, houses do need to breathe, but not in the way that you're thinking about it. We need to install mechanical ventilation as the lungs of the house. And yeah, that's got to be the number one thing that I have to deal with. (laughs) Deal with. I like that. (laughs) It's just so many times you answer that question and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Got to think of different ways of conveying it. Yep. So Matt, do you have a common myth that you have to dispel for industry outsiders? What Noah already explained is definitely number one, and I suspect that might even be the same for Jared, but in the interest of making this diverse and interesting, and also a little bit funny. Appreciate that. Another huge myth that persists, especially with like green building certifications like LEED, is that a 1.5 gallon per minute shower head still feels good. No one, if it's not outright rage that I'm responded to with, it's at least, yeah, like very very strong skepticism that anything below two and a half gallons per minute is going to get them wet. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. People will also say like, well, I also like a lot of pressure and I'm like, it would actually have should, well, I try to tell them picture putting more of your thumb over the end of a garden hose and it's the same thing. And then they're like, Oh, okay, well maybe, but water is a big one. Same with sinks really, but showers are our number one. Like people get personally offended when you lower your shower flow. It's the most personal use of water that you could think of. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very good. Thank you for making this a diverse conversation. 
So hopefully we've given Jared enough time to come up with his number one myth to dispel. Counting, okay, there's one, now there's two, now there's three. No, I can definitely confirm that the house must breathe thing is definitely something I hear from people who are in the industry and people who are not in the industry. And then second is I'm not actually in solar. People think that like, oh, you work in renewable energy, so you must be a solar guy, right? I'm like, no, not quite. But that's more of a personal grievance than anything at this point. Sure. <laughs> um, I guess there's a lot of people who really, truly believe that insulation, especially fiberglass, is a really good air barrier for some reason. They're like, why is it leaking? There's so much insulation. And I'm like, you smoke, the guy's usually smoking like a cigarette or something. I was like, you kind of know what's like in the tip of your cigarette. As it's like, yeah, you're going to clean the air as it's leaking through your house. And that's why you find all the dust particles and mold and crap in your fiberglass. Filter glass, yes. Yeah, it's filter glass. Unless you're really like the dense pack cellulose. And I have to explain that. But yeah, people will literally sometimes, they'll be still working on the bathtub or something like that. And they'll be building one of those boxes at the very end where they're housing all of the pipes and stuff. And they'll leave that part of the wall unfinished at final and i can blower door test this but you know what you're gonna probably get, yeah. gonna fail yeah unless you sealed everything on the outside to shell the house which we told you to do a good job of it but you're never gonna do that great so yeah the insulation will stop the air from moving through my house thing is one that i still get at least weekly or i have to explain why which i have no problem doing but it still tickles me <laughs> Colorado allowed me to have a great metaphor to explain that with. I'm like, you know, when you go skiing, you wouldn't just go with a sweater. You need something over it, a shell to be that air barrier. Otherwise, you could have the fluffiest sweater ever. But as soon as that wind hits you, you're cold, right? And then they go, oh, yeah, uh, skiing is, is a wonderful story to tell for people. Very good, relatable. Maybe for those in Vermont there too, right, Jared? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they drive right down my road every day. Even in the middle of summer, they're hoping. <laughs> Well, this is an enjoyable conversation. Glad I got to meet you fellows. Fellows, pun intended. Uh-huh. I really look forward to seeing what you can do to move all these aspirations and initiatives forward and really think they picked a great set of fellows for this year. These are the Raider fellows. There will be RFI fellows I'll be interviewing next. We're doing this in two segments because there were six fellows put into the program this year. So thanks again for appearing on our appearing. <laughs> audio acoustically appearing on the res talk podcast and want to thank the listeners for listening in take care everyone and greetings thank you matt noah and jared thanks thank Bill. you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the res talk podcast if you're a pro in the building market surf on over to resnet.us forward slash professional to learn more or to join the email list you can also find resnet on facebook or twitter a quote for today by Hedda Ketan. The minute you decide to do what you love to do, you've made a life plan for yourself and a career choice. If you'd like to feedback to ResNet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If not subscribed, please consider doing so. As always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app. 
or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Thank you.